You're listening to the preaching podcast of the Amazing Grace Baptist Church located in Mount Airy, North Carolina, where Dr. Jonathan Barker is the pastor. We pray that the following message will be a blessing to you. If you love the Lord, say amen. Amen. If you're glad He's here tonight, say amen. amen. What a blessing, what a joy to be in the Lord's house tonight. And what a greater joy to be in His house while He is at home. Thank God tonight for His presence. We ought to be eternally grateful when He comes by our way, puts His hand in our lives, and stirs us up. Thankful for that tonight. Thank you, Brother Jonathan, for the invitation. Thank you for letting me be here. And uh, what a joy. It's been several years, but it is an honor to be with you again tonight. If you would, take your Bible, please. Go to the book of Genesis and find chapter 1. And stand up with me all over the building. Genesis chapter 1. And we'll read a couple of verses tonight. And draw our text out of Genesis chapter 1. If you are there, say amen. If you're headed there, say amen. If you can't find it, I wouldn't tell nobody. (laughs) Genesis chapter 1. And we're going to make it even easier. We're going to go to verse number 1. Genesis 1 verse 1. The Bible says, In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. And the earth was without form and void and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And I want you to notice this phrase, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. Father, thank you tonight for the precious Spirit of God that's already been here. I pray, Lord, that you would take your word tonight. I pray that you would manifest yourself. I pray, Lord, that you might divide asunder, God, our heart, and Lord, our spirit, and the intentions of our heart. Lord, I pray that for every person that is here, I pray that there would be a divine communication from you to us. And Lord, may we know tonight that we have heard from heaven. And God, if we hear from heaven, I pray that when the service is over, I pray that heaven will have heard from us. And God, may our lives be changed. And Lord, I'll thank you and I'll praise you. And it's in Christ's name and all of God's people said, Amen. You can be seated. We have come tonight to Genesis chapter 1. And I would like to say that I still believe that in the beginning God really did create the heaven and the earth. There has probably been no other verse that has taken as much criticism and that has been opposed as much as Genesis 1 verse 1. Because the devil knows if he can tear down the very first part of this Bible, then the rest of it is up for debate. But I want to say to you that I believe it is without any question that God really did create the heaven and the earth. 
And the Bible says in verse 2 that this earth was without form, that it was void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. But my heart tonight is captivated with this one phrase and the capital S, Spirit of God, moved upon the face of the waters. Now, if your Bible doesn't have a capital S on that spirit, I'd get rid of it and go get one that does. Amen. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. Several months ago, the Holy Spirit began to work in my heart concerning the idea of a move of God. And may I say to you this evening, uh, thank God for what He's already done tonight. And as you began to obey God, I, I rejoiced because I already knew what the Lord had on my heart for the message But can I get an amen right here? If there's anything we need, it is a move of God. Now I'm going to need some help right here. We've had enough messages to save the entire world. And I don't know about you, but I've had enough of men. I'd like to see a move of God. I believe that we're blessed in this hour and we've got the best methods that we've ever had. We've got the finest facilities that the church has ever seen. I mean, we got the greatest singing. We've got the most educated preachers. But when it comes down to it, there is one thing that every one of us needs and that is a move of God. A move of God. And as I began to contemplate that thought and that idea of a move of God, I found that wording all throughout the Bible, but it's a pretty good idea just to start in the beginning. Amen. And I found this phrase that the Spirit of God moved and it captivated my heart. I want to look at this tonight and I want to stay all in verse number 1 and 2. And I want to talk to you about what I hope God does here in the next three nights. A move of God. Now understand this this evening that when we say a move of God, we're not talking about God changing locations. Uh, We're not talking about God packing up one place and coming over here. Oh, I need an amen right here. He ain't got to go nowhere. He's already here. That's why the apostle said that the Lord is at hand. That doesn't mean that he's coming. That means he's already here. And so when we say a move of God, we're not talking about God coming to where we are, but we are talking about God manifesting himself in this place. I want to walk through verse number 1 and 2. If you're taking notes, write this down somewhere. I want you to notice the world in which God moved. The world on which God moved. Now, verse number 1 says, In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. The very word created indicates that God did not step out, hallelujah, He did not step out into chaos and organize it. There was no chaos to organize. God did not 
if I can say this and if you can get it, God did not step out into nothing. There wasn't even nothing when God started. There were not molecules and atoms and neurons and protons that were just floating around. There was nothing. There was less than nothing. And that's what God started with. When God rose from his throne in heaven and stood to create the heavens and the earth, he did not even step out into darkness, for there was no darkness. He did not step out into the edge of time and eternity, for there was no time. God began literally with less than nothing. God created a world out of nothing. Then the Bible says that this world, verse 2, was without form. Now I studied that little phrase, without form, and the word, the, the phrase without form, it literally means worthless. It means worthless. And if you think about that, it makes sense. Because when God created this world, uh, the water was here, but the salt water and the fresh were mixed together. The soil was here, but it was covered by the water, and it did not have the nutrients to grow grass or support plant life. The salt water was there, but the content had not been established. The fresh water was there, but it was not divided from the salt water. Though there was a world, it was not an inhabitable world. It was not a world that could produce. It was not a world that could sustain. And so the Holy Ghost said that this world was without form and it was worthless. We find in verse 2 that not only was the world worthless, but what is the next description? And, say that out loud, void. It was without form, say it out loud, and void. Now, I'll tell you what the word void means and then I will illustrate it. The word void literally means to be empty. To be empty. How many of you remember when we used to pay all of our bills with a check? Let me see your hand. How many of you still pay all of your bills with a check? And those of you that do probably have a telephone book at your house too. Amen. Hold on to that. It'll be worth something in just a little while. Museums will be calling to put it on display. I remember when uh, my wife and I first got married and Oh, we had a little uh, checkbook and we'd pay our bills out of that checkbook. And I don't know if they still do it now, but back then, at the end of the month, they would send you back all of those checks. Anybody remember that? And how many of you remember what was stamped on the outer face of that check? What did it say? Void. V-O-I-D. You know what that meant? It meant this check is empty. There was $153.47 in it when you paid the power bill, but it's been removed. This check is not worth the paper that it's printed on. It is empty. God said of the world that it was worthless, and it was empty. 
He goes on in verse 2 and says that darkness was upon the face of the deep. Now, the word darkness has two definitions. The literal definition is the absence of light. How many of you have ever been in the show enough dark? Let me see your hand. I'm talking about where you cannot see your hand in front of your face. There is a level of darkness here for God had not yet created light that I'm not even sure we can comprehend. Because there was not only the absence of light, there had never been the presence of light. And the earth was dark. But it's not just darkness literally, but there is a second definition and figuratively the word darkness, watch this, it means miserable. Miserable. Now I will say tonight, and I appreciate an amen right here, I will say that Darkness is only good for one thing, and that's going to sleep. Now, I like it dark when I sleep. Can I get an amen? I mean, don't, don't, don't leave the hall light on. Somebody holler amen. And God help, don't let that alarm clock sit over there and flash all night. Unplug the iron and turn off the night light. Darkness is good for one thing, and that's sleeping. But you cannot live in the dark. You cannot function in the dark. You cannot abound in the dark. There are places in the world even tonight that for extended amounts of time, then months even, they are in total darkness. And they tell me that during those times of prolonged darkness, that depression escalates and that suicide rates go on the rise and domestic situations enhance because darkness is miserable. Now, I didn't bring you here tonight to give you an etymology lesson. I didn't bring you here tonight just to walk through some dictionary definitions. But I do think it is important to see what kind of world that God decided to move on. It is a world, hallelujah, that started out with less than nothing. It is a world that was worthless. It was a world that was empty. It was a world that was miserable. And hallelujah, bless the lovely name of the Lord. That's the world that God chose to move upon. Do you realize that he did not wait until the Rocky Mountains rose out of the earth with their snow-capped peaks touching the blue sky. He did not wait until the blue waters of the ocean crashed against the white sandy beaches. He didn't wait for the Rocky Mountains to be blanketed in their fall foliage. But God showed up in a worthless world, in an empty world, in a miserable world, and there God moved. Now somebody said, why, why are you store up about that? Because I got an idea that if God will move, hallelujah, that if God will move in worlds that are nothing, in worlds that are worthless, in worlds that are miserable, in worlds that are empty, I have a feeling tonight He might show up in my world. Can I say to you, That somewhere this evening, a drunkard will lay down on a rescue mission bed 
I know with the smell of alcohol coming through his pores, he'll sleep under a borrowed blanket in a miserable, worthless, empty world. Tonight somewhere, there'll be a drug addict that'll lay down on a dirty floor in a drug house and they'll go to sleep and their family misses them and their world is empty and it's worthless and it's miserable and it seems like it's less than nothing. And I'm glad that as children of God we can stand and say to every drug addict, we can stand to say to every drunkard, we can stand to say to every sinner, he shows up in worlds like that and moves. I'm looking around tonight and I don't see many look like they're headed to the rescue mission after here. I don't see many tonight that'll probably sleep on a drug house floor. But Brother Jonathan, I've learned that in three bedroom, two baths with healthy children down the hall and new cars in the garage, that there are people whose worlds are empty. There are people whose worlds are miserable. There are people whose worlds seem absolutely worthless. And I'm glad I can tell you that my God, He's interested in moving in your world. It's where He moves. It's where He does His work. The very first time we ever find Him moving, it is in a worthless, empty, miserable world. Does that stir anybody else up like it stirs me up tonight? That is the world on which He moved. But there is a second thought that I want you to see. I want you to notice not only the world on which he moved, but I want you to notice the way in which he moved. The Bible says, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. I got real interested in that word moved, and I began to study it. Now let me say this right off the bat. I I, I don't have access to anything you don't have access to. And uh, the Holy Ghost does not say, He does not give me privilege to information that you yourself are not privileged to. And so what I'm going to say to you tonight, you can find it in your Strong's Concordance. You can find it in your Webster's 1828 Dictionary. This is not uh, private interpretation. Can I get an amen right there? But I studied that word God moved. And I found out that it is the Hebrew word rakaf. And it is translated all throughout your King James Bible. It is the same word as brood. As a chicken will brood on the eggs. It's the same word for God moved. Now, I don't know much about the Hebrew But I've been a Baptist preacher long enough, I know something about some chickens. (laughs) And uh, when I saw that, I said, I'm going to have to take a deeper look. And here's what he's literally saying. As a hen broods on her nest, so the Spirit of God moved upon the face of this world. Any of you that's ever had any chickens will understand this, that when an old hen gets broody, she ain't got but one thing on her mind, and that is sitting on that nest. Can I get a... 
country folk amen right there. As a matter of fact, when a hen is broody, you cannot keep her off the nest. And if one's not got a mind to brood, you cannot get her on the nest. But oh, when she is in a brooding state of mind. Hallelujah, we're going to shout over chickens tonight. When she is in a brooding state of mind, honey, you can't keep her off of the nest. You ever been out there at the chicken house for daylight getting eggs? And you come in there and open that little door and, and come in and raise that box or walk into where they nest? You, I, I've been in the chicken house before daylight and I've seen a snake trying to get the eggs out from under the hen, and when she's got a mind to be broody, she won't even move for the snake. I mean, she'll flap them wings, and she'll claw, and she'll pick, and she'll squawk, but even old snake can't move her. Now, I'm here to tell you, you ain't lived till you've run into a snake in the chicken pen before daylight. I mean, if you, if you find a snake in the chicken pen before daylight, there ain't but one kind that is a rattle-headed copper moccasin mixed with a little bit of boa constrictor. Amen. And now after you kill it, it's just garden snake about that long. But right up until then, call National Geographic. <laughs> yeah. Oh, snake can't move her. She will, and you may have a hard time moving her to get the eggs. And do you know why? Now, some of y'all know this, and you feel free to holler back at me right here. Do you know why a hen wants to sit on? You know why she gets broody? Do you know why she sits on that nest? Do you know why she stirs on that nest? There's not but one reason. Because she wants to. That's the only reason. Because she wants to. And when she gets a mind to want to, there ain't a thing you can do, hallelujah, to make her not want to. Now do you know why God moves in our world? <laughs> Woo! Do you know why God broods over our world? Because He wants to. Don't you remember what Jesus said? Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often would I have gathered you as a mother hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but she would not. You know what he's saying? I want to brood on your world. I want to sit down on your world. I want to stir in your life. Now, there may be somebody here tonight says, Preacher, I've got a marriage that needs God to move on it. This altar was full a while ago. Maybe somebody said, Preacher, I've got a lost loved one and I need God to move in their life. Could be somebody's got a personal issue and then maybe you're battling something in the mind. Maybe you're battling something in the flesh and you say, Oh God, I want you to move. Could be a health problem tonight. And you say, Oh Lord, I want you to move. Could be something that nobody else knows about. And you say, oh God, I want you to move. Well, I've got good, glad gospel news for you. As bad as you want him to move, hallelujah, I'm about to tear something up right here. As bad as you want him to move, he wants to move even more than you want him to move. Do you realize this evening 
that when that hen sits down on those eggs, watch, 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 those eggs can do nothing for that hen. Those eggs have nothing to offer that hen. Everything that is trans... Hallelujah! Everything that is transferred in this moving, it is not coming from the eggs to the hen. It is coming from the hen to the eggs. Even in warm temperatures, those eggs would freeze to death without that hen sitting on top of them. There's too many predators. There's too many animals that would take the life of those little eggs before the eggs can ever become everything they ought to be. There must be a transfer from her to them. You realize tonight that we can do nothing for him. Oh, that this is not a reciprocal relationship. He's getting nothing out of this. We're on the getting end of this relationship. And thank God, if we're ever going to be everything that we can be, it will only be because He broods on our life and sits down in our world. I remember my, my son... He's now 16, and we're praying about letting him live to be 17. You join us in that. I put him on eBay and didn't get one offer. I'm talking about not one. Nobody wanted him. But I I remember when he was little, and he started walking. And you get him out there in the living room and come on now and they take a couple little steps and, and come on, they take a few more little steps and then they learn how to walk and that's all they want to do. Can I get an amen right there? And I remember when he figured out that walking wasn't as much fun as he thought it was going to be. And we'd be going somewhere and he was, I guess, a year and a half, two years old and them little chubby legs would have gone as far as he felt like going. And Brother Jonathan, you know what he'd do? Probably what your girls did. He'd run out in front of me. He'd figure out where I was going. He'd run out in front of me, turn around, cut me off. And reach them hands up. You know what he's saying? He's saying, Daddy, I want you to pick me up. Daddy, I want you to carry me. No, I thought about that as I studied this text. Can I tell you that for all of those times he wanted Daddy to pick him up, hallelujah, even more so, Daddy wanted to pick him up. As much as he wanted to be lifted, even more, there was something in the heart of a father that wanted to lift him up. And so I'm trying to tell you tonight that yes, you need God to move. And yes, you want God to move. But even more, God wants to move on your life. As that hen broods and as she sits... And as she shakes, and as she rustles and gently moves those eggs and warms them and protects them, she is developing them by moving on their world. And so God will do with us. That is the way in which He moved. But I have a third thought tonight. And I want you to notice that not only do we see the way in which God moved, hallelujah, help me say this, Lord, 
But I want you to notice the word He speaks when He moves. The Bible says in verse 2 that the Spirit of God moved where? Upon the face of the waters. Now I'm going to need a Bible student, amen, right here. Water in the Word of God is always a picture of the Word of God. It's how a young man cleanses his ways by the washing of the water of the Word. And so in verse 2, we have a very clear picture of the Spirit of God moving upon the Word of God. May I say something to you tonight? Oh, I'm going to need some help right here. God does not move in our life just so we can have an emotional experience. Boy, I need more help than that right there. God does not move just so we can get goosebumps up and down our spine. God does not move so we can jump up and say, Glory, God moved. But when God moves, it's because He's got a word He wants to instill in our life. Brother Jonathan, I'm afraid that all over this country, we've got them on both sides, but very few in the middle. There are many that want a moving of the Spirit of God, but that's all they want. They don't want the Word of God. And then it seems like I'm in churches that all they have is the Word of God. And they know doctrine. And they know the Bible. And they know the facts. But the Holy Ghost didn't move in. I've come to tell you tonight, it's not one or the other. It's not either or. We need the Spirit of God to stir up so we can hear the Word of God. Hallelujah. The Spirit of God moved. And instantly, what happens in verse 3? And God said. Ten times in chapter 1, and God said. He moved. Hallelujah. I said He moved, and then He spoke. You know what He does today? He moves, and then He speaks. Every time God has ever moved in my life, in a major way, it's because God was about to speak into my life through the Word of God in a major way. I remember I was seven years old, sitting on the front row. Front row is a dangerous place to be. Can I get a witness right there? Not only are you in the praise God spit zone, but you're up here where the Holy Ghost might get a hold of you. And you ain't got far to go if He does get a hold of you. I was sitting on the front row. I was a preacher's kid, been in church all my life. You'll just have to forgive me. But I was sitting on the front row and I had taken the song book and turned it into an army tank. And I was fighting World War III on the front row with that song book. Hang, 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 hang. I mean, just having myself a time. But at the age of seven, I felt something I never had felt before. And I put that tank in part called a temporary ceasefire. <laughs> and all at once, I heard that preacher, hallelujah, saying stuff that I'd never heard him say before. I took about five little steps, about like that far, took about five steps to an altar. And thank God, October the 15th, 1985, I got sure enough born again. God moved 
And then I heard what God said. <laughs> September the 11th, 1988. I was sitting on the front row again. And God began to move. And shortly thereafter, I heard him say one word into my young heart. Preach. And that's all he said. Thank God I didn't have enough sense to say no. And I surrendered. And that's been 30 years ago. And thank God, been preaching ever since. I remember sitting in Bible college at Victory Baptist Church in North Augusta, South Carolina. And my pastor, Brother Larry Brown, was in his prime. Man, that building be packed on Thursday night. And I remember him getting up there preaching, sweating down to his socks and spitting to the fifth row and the Holy Ghost moving in that place. I mean, you can reach out and touch him. And while God was moving, God was also speaking. And God worked in my heart. And the little church I'm pastoring tonight, God spoke to me on the front row 17 years ago. And it came from a move of God that was closely followed up with a word from God. Now ten times in Genesis 1, God said. Does anybody else know what happens after God said? What's the next thing that He always follows it up with? And God said, then He says, and God saw. You know what happens when God speaks? You better get ready because you're about to see what God said. <laughs> you see it tonight? He stirs, then He speaks, and then you see what God said. When I got saved October the 15th, 1985, His Word told me that I was held in hallelujah in the palm of His hand. When I got saved, His Word told me He'd never leave me nor forsake me. When I got saved, His Word said that I was His child and I had eternal everlasting life and blessed the name of the Lord. For the last 33 years, I've been seeing what God said. He called me to preach. And his word said, don't be afraid of their faces. He called me to preach. And he said, I'll supply all your needs according to my riches in glory. He called me to preach and said, go into all the world. And thank God after I felt him stirring and I heard what he said for the last 30 years, I've been seeing what he said. The Lord called us to go to Columbus and start that little church. And uh, somebody said, uh, did y'all start from scratch? Honey, we didn't even have nothing to scratch when we started. It was me and my precious wife and one other young man. And I'm here to tell you, you don't know what it's like to preach with fear and trembling until half the congregation is your wife. <laughs> I mean, bless the Lord, you might say what you want to, but she might want to testify shortly thereafter. Got to walk a fine line when your wife is 50% of the church membership. We started that little work. I'm telling you right now, I didn't have, didn't, have, didn't have two dimes to rub together, but I had a stirring. I had a move of God, and I had a word from God. And can I tell you that yesterday I preached to a packed house two times, sitting on 20 acres of property, beautiful building, 
God's saving folk. Two Sundays ago I've been preaching on giving. I preached on giving an offering and two people got saved. Tell me God's not real. I did get a little upset. I said, Lord, we got plenty of saved folk. I need some folks that'll give an offering. Amen. Mind if I send these two back and get some tithers? Hallelujah. Now I'm trying to tell you that for the last 17 years in that little church, I have seen what God said. And God wants to move this week. He wants to move in your world. And He don't want to move just so we'll say, whoo, that was good. He wants to move so that we can get a word from Him. And when you get a word from Him, it won't be long and you'll see what God has said.